Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Health in Harlem podcast. My name is Dr. Maurice Selby, and we thank you for tuning in once again, ladies and gentlemen. And um, hopefully, you enjoyed the last episode of this program uh, talking about medical misinformation. And I just want to really just um, refer back to that program just because we are still seeing, of course, the effects. Uh, of this terrible information that is out there, ladies and gentlemen, we must safeguard ourselves uh, against that. But we continue on. And in terms of building you up and um, giving you what you need to sustain yourself during this ch- these challenging times, tonight's program will be about building resilience. And I have an esteemed guest to join us today, and that is Dr. Robert Gore. He is an emergency medicine physician, an assistant clinical professor at SUNY Downstate Medical Center and Kings County Hospital Center in Brooklyn. He is also the executive director of the Kings Against Violence Initiative, and we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Also, he was a BET icon man in 2014, CNN hero in 2018, presidential leadership scholar, TED resident and speaker. And of course, um, a good friend and mentor of mine. And with that said, I introduce to you Dr. Robert Gore. Welcome. Peace, man. Thanks for having me on the show. No doubt, man. And uh, just talk to us about uh, Kavi, because when I think about resilience um, and building resilience, you know, one of the first people that come to mind, and especially during this crisis uh, with COVID-19, you're the first person that actually entered my head. Um, and, And really just looking at not only... Uh, sort of what we've been dealing with now, but also when we talk about what you've been doing right here in Brooklyn, um, especially when we talk about the Kings Against Violence Initiative, this is essentially what you've been doing all along, is building uh, resilience, not only individually, but also in the community as well. Well, actually, uh, it's interesting you brought that up. Uh, so I think first we kind of have to just kind of establish like what is Kavi. So Kavi mm-hmm. itself is a hospital, school, and community-based violence intervention and prevention program, uh, which provides support for young people who've been impacted by violence and trauma. Uh, We are, in addition to being a support system and having our programming, um, on top of being advocates, we are really trying to grasp and and help people understand this overall concept uh, of trauma. Uh, Trauma itself is something that we assume is just a physical process, but trauma it can be uh, a mental process, uh, and you know very much in the same frame. Uh, trauma is is can be where you live. Trauma can be what you experience. You know, going to and from school and home. Trauma is uh, not having enough to eat. Trauma is uh, being afflicted by violence uh, as a part of your day to day life experience mm-hmm. in the home and outside in the streets. Trauma is living in a police state where unarmed uh, people of color, uh, black, brown, Native American, um, are, are being killed and you're, you're expected to, to you know, think that it's supposed to be okay and you're just supposed to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That itself is traumatizing. You know, reliving experiences that are, are, are negative and are detrimental to our health and well-being is trauma in itself. Uh, so I think, you know, the work that we do you know, although, you know, we had, had, had started just focusing on gang violence and interpersonal violence, uh, we, we recognize that helping people understand 
how trauma plays a part in their day-to-day lives mm-hmm. can help uh, move towards a, a, the, our ultimate goal, and that's uh, making sure that people are able to heal from the traumas that they've experienced. Mm, very, very big. And um, to, to bring that to exactly what we're discussing um, right now, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, essentially with this pandemic, the economic troubles resulting from that, the political divisions, life is tough right now for everybody here in the continental United States and really throughout the world. And it is not likely to get much better in the near term as we're seeing, you know, all around us with some of the news reports, a lot of the research that's coming out uh, from health outcomes to even the economic impact of all of this. We had a long ways to go in terms of getting back to where we were prior to all of this happening. And with such prolonged exposure to stress and adversity, one's psychological well-being can be adversely affected. We're already seeing the effects of the pandemic and economic fallout on mental health, as a poll conducted by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that 56% of its respondents reported that outbreak-related stress or worry has led to at least one negative mental health effect, including changes in eating and sleeping habits, irritability, and (coughs) physical symptoms. And according to the American Psychological Association, Resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or even significant sources of stress. And at a plenary panel at the 2013 meeting of the International Society for Traumatic Stress and Studies, uh, Drs. George Bonanno, Ann Mastin, Dr. Catherine Panter-Brick, and Dr. Rachel Yehuda had slightly differing definitions. But one thing that became clear was that resilience is a complex construct that can be manifest differently and defined differently at the individual, family, cultural, organizational, and societal levels. And according to the chair of that panel, Dr. Stephen Southwick, uh, resilience is not a binary process, right? Meaning this is not like an on and off switch or where you have it or you don't uh, kind of concept, but it exists on a continuum and sort of ebbs and flows and is present across multiple domains in life. And perhaps the most exciting thing uh, that came out of that panel is that researchers are beginning to unearth the factors that promote resilience in individuals and in communities. And this is not static. Resilience can not only change across areas in life and at different times in our lives, but we can actually influence and build our resilience, right? We have some control over this, and that is what we'll be discussing um, in this program today. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for tuning in. And uh, we have some more great information uh, coming up for you. Selby. I have my guest with me, Dr. Robert Gore. And tonight we are talking about building resilience, ladies and gentlemen. And I just want to flash back to sort of beginning of this crisis with COVID-19. And I remember hearing sort of the early reports, right? And we, when it first hit New York City and um, trying to figure out exactly how we're going to 
deal with this in our emergency departments throughout the city. And I actually work right here um, in Brooklyn, uh, also working out in Long Island, uh, two of the places that were hardest hit really in the country and around the world. And I remember facing this and saying, man, I got to figure out a way to deal with this, right? Not only in terms of being able to take care of and treat patients, but also regarding my own safety, the safety of my family, and really how to come out of something like this, right, um, in a healthy way and still be able to carry on with my duties, not only as a clinician, but in terms of um, my family, my obligations to my family and all of those around me. Um, that was one of the, the things that I remember thinking about and, and really just trying to figure out how to respond to this crisis as a whole. Um, and, and this was just something that was uh, in the back of my mind, but also right at the very forefront. And really, I can't say that I, I crafted a strategy um, in my head and it was, it was kind of a reflex. And we're going to get into how we sort of responded to that. Um, but... Dr. Gore, do you might care to just tell us what the circumstances was as far as your um, ease into this crisis with COVID? So um, with, with COVID-19, when, when it hit, um, I, I was away for a medical conference uh, in Idaho, uh, of all places. And I was out there at a wilderness medicine conference and also attending the Black Ski Summit. And um, my friends and I were out there and there was no snow. So we decided we we're going to leave and chase uh, some snow and go to another place. And right when we left, uh, apparently there were a hundred people who came down with uh, coronavirus. We didn't find that out until a couple of weeks later. Uh, my wife and I uh, had, you know, around that same time, my wife and I decided to go away on vacation, and we're we're out out of the country. And we came back, like there, there were these, actually while we're out, out of the country, there were these growing reports about coronavirus and COVID, you know, COVID-19 mm -hmm. and, you know, increasing number of cases in Washington state uh, over in Seattle and the possibility of what, whether or not this issue is going to hit around the world. We were seeing all these crazy reports in Italy, but nobody assumed that it was going to become like something that was going to be tied to catastrophic, catastrophic proportions around around the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really take it as seriously, uh, although my wife was pretty cautious in making sure that I wore a mask even when we were just walking around. My uh, and this is extra yeah. cautious as well. Yeah, <laughs> to the point where I became anxious like, man. Yeah, I was like, man, you need to chill. Just chill. Because uh, we at the time we had, when I got, we got back from vacation, there were, there was like maybe one or two cases that were coming through the ER. It wasn't like, we were being inundated with with all these patients and the, the hospital was like shutting down or anything like that. Uh, and so everything was fine. And then every day, you know, when I had come back from vacation when I was working, there'd be a couple more cases and a couple more cases. And we were already wearing like protective equipment, but the whole hospital wasn't necessarily wearing a lot of that stuff, mm -hmm. uh, which is typical. Like if you have a, a, a patient who who you might be concerned may have like, a communicable illness, then you wear appropriate gear. But everybody doesn't have to go, you know, you know, donning and doffing and wearing all these excessive suits. And you have an isolation room, you put the patient in there and everything is fine. Mm -hmm. But then isolation room started running out. And the cases kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And that was just over the course of two days. And a friend of mine had gotten sick uh, early on and started developing heart problems as a result of you know, what we now know is uh, COVID-19. And that was 
kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, which, which sent me uh, to going into an Airbnb because uh, I didn't know, I, I knew I was around a number of cases and I didn't want to bring anything back home to my wife, even though I had never had any symptoms. Yes. And that was, that was over 10 weeks ago. And here we are 10 weeks later and we were finally just moving out of an Airbnb, but it was done solely to protect family. Uh, and to make sure that we weren't bringing anything back home. Uh, my wife is uh, is seven months pregnant, and we're expe- thanks, man. And we're expecting our first child. And I, I think you know, just dealing with COVID nineteen, there was so much that we didn't know about the disease in terms of the symptoms that you know it caused amongst people. Like every every shift in the ER, we were learning about a new symptom or new uh, presentation. Uh, of this particular particular viral illness. Yes. Um, and that's that's a fact because I remember even, you know, the, some of the first reports that I was reading, this was, you know, straight up from the literature, right? Mm-hmm. The first reports that were coming out of China and they're like, yeah, you know, if a person has GI symptoms, probably not COVID, you know, mm-hmm. if they're cough, you know, coughing, you know, up to half of people can have a cough, uh, dry cough in particular and maybe or maybe not fevers or chills, right? There's like half of people coming in without fever that, would ultimately develop a fever later on in their hospital course. Um, but this is what I was looking out for. Uh, but then people coming in with GI symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea um, in particular. And then we find later that these people were coming down with COVID. And so we have this very stressful uh, disease entity, right? This new disease with a lot of uncertainty surrounding it. We have Dr. Gore, um, Rob, whose wife is pregnant. My wife is pregnant. We're trying to figure out how we can best take care of patients, um, but also take care of ourselves and our families. And boom, we have this huge recipe, right, for um, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, um, and the fallout that can result from that. And the big question at that point, um, really, and this is all in retrospect, ladies and gentlemen, but there is, you know, a method to the madness here um, when we talk about it literally, um, in that we were faced with. Uh, a decision on how to respond to this, right? Um, you know, the quarantine, that stuff was the easy stuff, really. How are we going to take care of patients? Well, one, we're going we're gonna to don up and, and wear gear to protect ourselves, but also so we can go in and do our best service in taking care of patients. We're going to quarantine to protect our families. But then it became the mental um, aspect of it, which uh, in retrospect, and again, this is where I go and say, I didn't have a plan, but we've essentially built resilience and this was sort of a reflex response i think if you will too dr gore as far as um our response and how we did this um in in you know dealing with this crisis um and that is because emergency medicine is among the most exciting right it's definitely the most exciting i would say a lot of Um, adrenaline a lot of adrenaline one of the most rewarding fields in medicine um in a growing field in medicine but also among the most stressful and aside from being responsible for patients coming in with life-threatening conditions, our healthcare system and society at large make it even tougher to take care of patients because of all of the social ills um, that are around us. And as a result, the burnout rates for emergency physicians is among the highest for all physicians in the United, United States. And more and more, um, and this is fortunate with our field, um, and really throughout all of medicine, recognition of burnout and building resilience is now part of our training. Uh, We recognize situations where our stress levels might be increased. We mitigate the negative effects of acute stress, of the acute stress response and recovery by practicing everything from mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques to peer support programs. 
Um, and uh, really, what it kind of forced us to do was go into this, and, and I would even say kind of unconsciously, but with a plan. Um, and, and just tell us what your thought process was coming into the Airbnb when we first sort of moved in together and we're like, yo, we got to deal with this stuff. Like, how are we going to get through this so from I think, a mental uh, standpoint? So I think in any kind, when you start to look at it, just a disaster or any type of stress, so you got to, the first thing you, you want to see is how, like, how do you contain it? Uh, how do you mitigate in the, in the sense of an illness? How do you mitigate or lessen the spread of the illness? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you recover from it? And then how do you prepare for it in the future? I, th- I think re- related to wellness practices themselves, you also kind of want to mitigate the stressor that you're experiencing and and really it's not even about being resilient and just being strong but really making sure that your body and, and mind are in positions to be able to adapt to the stressors that are at hand mm. uh, I, there, there are a few things uh, the time to prepare for disaster uh, is never when the disaster is already here um, because people are work, walking around you're in this very stressed state and when we, you're constantly under duress and experiencing high high amounts of stress, it's difficult to to be able to think clearly. And you know what we've seen with the media, with the constant uh, portrayal of, of deaths and, and and casualties as it related to COVID nineteen, or even right now uh, with recent um, the recent uh, assassination of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, people are looking. Uh, at these at viral videos and being spread throughout the country or throughout the world of, of the casualties that have come about because people are, are driving or walking while black. And just to seeing these images of death and trauma and tragedy uh, over and over again without taking any sort of break from it is traumatizing in itself. And so, you know, telling somebody, okay, we need to make sure you have a wellness practice uh, at that point. Uh, to manage a lot of these things is pretty tough, mm. um, but it is the situation at hand. And so, what what did we actually do to kind of prep for COVID nineteen, and how are we dealing with how are we util- utilizing some of these strategies right now as we, as we deal with uh, urban warfare that's really taking place uh, in New York City, in Minneapolis, in Atlanta, Georgia, and around the United States uh, due to due to the protests, which you know right, which are really the result of people being uh, stressed out from civil liberties that had not been granted to them for far too long and people's lives uh, being treated uh, as just a casual occurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with stress itself uh, or any kind of illness uh, or, or process, you have to look at it as, a, as this, this thing that we... That I, actually, let me, let me backtrack. So a disease process, we look at it as a stress on the body. Um, the goal is really to have, like, how do you help your body adapt to it? And so what we did, one, we separated ourselves from our families just to make sure that if we were sick, that we didn't get them sick. Number two, we tried to lessen the ongoing stresses that we might take on. We already know we work in a high stress situation, which uh, sets our, our bodies up to uh, not be able to fight off disease uh, in, in itself. And and so what we wanted to make sure we did, because, you know, most docs, you know, definitely myself included, um, I don't sleep much. So first thing was is to <laughs> kind of establish some sort of regular sleep schedule um, so that if I did get sick, I'd be able to fight off the infection. When you're, when you're not sleeping, uh, it puts an extra stress and strain on your body, which compromises your ability to fight off infection. Uh, that's the first thing. The second part is making sure that we're we're going to be physically fit. I don't believe in, in having a, that traditional dad bod. 
Um, I do. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> that, that, that traditional dad bod, walking around you know, unhealthy, big stomach, um, you know, feeling short of breath, always tired, always overly caffeinated. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, because the ultimate goal, you know, one of the reasons why I became a healthcare professional uh, and practitioner was to kind of, you know, talk and, and educate people about health and wellness. And if I'm not doing things to make sure that I'm completely healthy and well, how do I inspire confidence in other people to do the same? For and so, sure. we, you know, I, I typically eat healthy, but I made sure that I, I minimized the amount of junk that, that I was taking in my system, made sure we're getting quality sleep, made sure that my, the daily meditation was increased. Um, and what, that's something that you do on a regular that's basis. That's something I've been doing for, for years. Yeah, I've been yeah. practicing meditation in different forms since I was a kid. But um, you know, part of that came from watching Star Wars. And I was trying to move rocks and levitate objects. <laughs> and, and also watching kung fu movies. And trying to harness chi without really even knowing what it was. But um, well, I, was, I'm try, I was trying to get to the glow. I was trying to get to the glow. Bruce Dragon. Leroy. Bruce right. Leroy, man. Bruce, Bruce Leroy, Leroy, man. But, but no, but it, but it really... You know, because you know, I already, I'd already recognized that as a physician, we're already uh, under duress and mm. experiencing stress in so many different aspects of our life in the hospital, outside the hospital, even working with Kavi, uh, our nonprofit. We're dealing with people who've been traumatized, and it sometimes you have to be able to shut your mind off. And so, you know, go, doing the daily meditation practice is something that was essential. Mm. Uh, with COVID-19, how this differed from a lot of the other traumatic experiences that we've had as physicians is that the cases that we were treating in the emergency department, uh, some were people that we knew, some were people that we didn't know. They were definitely coming from our community. When we went home, the stuff that we see on the news and on the media outlets is the same thing that the patients are experiencing in the hospital. So yes. you're getting it from another angle. You, you know, when your relatives call to check in and your friends and family call to check in because they know that you're working in this space, they um, they want to they want to ask you how you're doing. But in actuality, many of them wanted to talk about what they were experiencing uh, related to COVID nineteen. Not even the actual symptoms, but the fear behind the symptoms. Yes. And so there was no break. With the exception of the, those those ch- those chunks of time that I made mandatory that I was going to participate in, making sure that I, I shut down and turned off my phone at particular hours to do the meditation and breathing exercises, and making sure that I shut off my phone um, when I slept at night because sometimes mm. friends and family they'll call you all hours of the night and not realizing that you have to get up in the morning and if you're not sleeping properly, how do you how do you perform at your best? Mm-hmm. Making sure that. The physical activity on top of the meditation and the breathing exercises was maintained. You know, we're doing a lot of calisthenics every day, doing runs in the evening, um, as, you know, try to making sure that we're keeping up on cardio. Yes. Um, so there, were, there was a multi-step process that was going on, but, we, but by and large, probably taking at least two to two and a half hours of actual physical activity and meditation and breathing exercises almost every day. Yes, uh, and and that's that's really what kind of what kept us going. You know, definitely prayers and family and, and support in that space. But um, no, we don't know how long this thing is going to last. And as a physician, as a healthcare provider, as as a concerned citizen, or anybody who dedicates uh, their life to doing a particular type of work, you want to make sure that you can inject your entire being 
into the into the practice. And if you are in a position that you aren't performing at your best, lives are compromised. People don't, you know, when you're not focused in the ER, somebody could die. Uh, just literally died because you sneezed or, or weren't or you were, your your mind was wandering and processing some of the traumas True and so uh, you know in some so cases you have to be present you have to yeah. be present you know mm-hmm. in, in in meditative practices around the planet they talk about mindfulness practices mm-hmm. you know focusing on the task at hand but um, learning how to be in a space where you you know when you are under duress you're in the ER things are busy how do you trigger something inside that that says let me calm down let me let me breathe deeply and let me remain alert and oriented and focused on the task at hand instead of just assuming that this is this is just something that I can I can leave the hospital I can leave the ER and then regroup and then come back no we don't have that luxury especially if you're working in a critical care space um, where you're making uh, life-altering decisions yes. uh, sometimes in a matter of seconds you, we don't have the luxury of sitting like oh let me go home and take a nap and just rethink these these problems that we're dealing with. Uh, we, the strategies that need to be implemented have to be done uh, immediately. Yes. And so coming back to cultivating a wellness practice so that you are calm when you're dealing with problems at hand. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't experience stress, but making sure that the threshold for you, what you're able to tolerate and withstand is, is elevated. And a lot of that, it really comes from creating these practices or engaging in these practices, putting your body through stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I practice Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, I've, I've always been athletic. I've, I've been playing sports and maintaining high levels of physical activity probably since I was a kid. I, I might have had a month in medical school where I didn't. I wasn't super physically active, but it was only that one, one month, maybe two months max that I wasn't doing a whole lot. And then I made sure, you know, I saw how that impacted my stress and my well-being and, and saw how that impacted my ability to be able to fall asleep when I needed to fall asleep and even how I could study and focus and, and take care of things that were on my to-do list yes. uh, at, at hand. And so, um, you know, I, I completely understand that there's a mind-body connection uh, with physical activity, with meditation as a part of your day-to-day activities. Uh, and some people go, oh, wow, you're so disciplined. Well, discipline is something that comes about with practice. Yes. Um, you know, I, I know we, you and I have talked a lot about the whole thing with resiliency, and people talk about resiliency whenever they're speaking about people who, you know, have gone undergone any kind of hardship. But resiliency really means that, you know, you, it's just strengthening you. Let me see. Let me pull up the definition of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to kind of shed some light. So resilience, you know, it's uh, you know actually I'm starting to see some changes in, in, in the definition, but. It's really the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or, or toughness uh, is one thing. Um, but I, I kind of want to highlight the adaptability part. Um, and that's huge because that's as you said, huge. this is something that, one, right, is fluid. It's not a concrete thing. And this is mm-hmm. something that not only that we can build, but there's ways, right, sometimes some of the strategy, strategies that we want to implement or the things that we're used to doing, um, for instance, prior to COVID, right, I was in the gym and that was a way for me to to blow off steam. That was a way for me to, um, you know, have that time to myself and and be physically active and be to myself and think about what was going on um, in life and de-stress. And all of a sudden, the gyms are closed, right? So I'm forced to find another way, um, essentially. And and thank God, um, we wanted these binges with everything from running to practicing 
uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu right here in the living room. Which I know <laughs> not everybody has that luxury, but essentially we found uh, a way to make this happen um, as far as that physical activity uh, component because we knew, right, coming into this, and this was sort of, as I said, sort of a built-up uh, resilience. This was a reflex, almost a reflex response in that I said, hey, you know, I have to find a way um, other than other practices where I sort of blow off steam. And that's for me reading, you know, sometimes watching a good television show, something funny, maybe um, another way is really I got to be active um, in some way, whether it's going for a walk, going for a nice uh, run um, or even just doing, you know, sort of uh, uh, things like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I never thought I would do that, but I was, like, <laughs> I was game. I heard about it. I was like, look, you got the space and uh, let's do it. Let's go at it. Right now, I think now, now from like a practical point of view, I think some people go, "Oh wow, you know, you're in shape, you can do this stuff." I'm not in shape, I can't do those types of things. Um, I think with 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 you know, with, you have to adjust and 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 understand where your activity level is. Hmm. Um, if you aren't somebody who's been running regularly and you can't run around the block, then start with walking. Um, if you have never lifted weights before, you're not going to start off trying to bench press 200 pounds or 300 pounds or anything like that. You might start with some some assisted uh, calisthenics. There's mm-hmm. so many there's so many uh, di- videos on on t- on uh, on social media and on the internet that you can have access to with training programs that there's really no excuse. But some people assume people want to have um, a, su- a high success rate when they start with something. And if they don't have that achieve that desired outcome early on, then they go, oh, it doesn't work. Well, I'm just not good at it. Where in actuality, it's something that you work with over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to look at our own personal progress as these micro advances as opposed to these major macro uh, advances in, in, uh, in, our, in our success. Um, you know, if, you, if you've never walked around a block, then let's start walking down the block for real, for real. and just doing that every day. Um, and then later on, you know, you start going around the entire block, uh, and building up your cardio, um, having an accountability partner is, is exceptionally helpful, uh, during these times where, you know, you and a, and a friend of yours or a spouse or someone, uh, just another person who's trying to get back in shape, having somebody who's going to hold you accountable, uh, to maintain that practice can be, can be really helpful and, and motivating at the same time. Not to say that everything has to be a competition, but if you know that one of your friends is going to go out and you all have signed a contract with each other to make sure we got you, you and you and them got each other into the your most optimal state of health, then then you do you tend to do it even when you don't feel like it. And I, I think with any sort of adaptability training and any sort of discipline practice, um, most of the stuff involves doing things that you have no interest in doing. It's highly boring. I think we, we want excitement in everything that we do, but really, like with exercise and the core work, most of that stuff comes, you know, with that. You're doing highly boring things for extensive extensive periods in time, and then eventually you start to build up some uh, some strength uh, or adaptability that you can take on uh, larger issues. And with um, that comes confidence too. Yeah, that confidence comes that. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to give it. You got to give it time. You can't do a one and done. But oh, I'm I'm done. I can't do this. And you go back to your own practice. If your life depends on your ability to to take on some of these challenges, then you, you probably would do it. True. Um, or you, you sit there and, and and practice avoidance, which many of us do anyway, 
uh, when, when there's something that we don't want to do or something that's challenging. Um, and right now, you know, unfortunately with this crisis, um, I haven't met anyone that hasn't been able to avoid it, whether it's, you know, we're talking about becoming ill from the virus itself or just the um, adversities we're dealing with um, as far as, you know, job loss and the economic ramifications. Um, no one can escape, ladies and gentlemen. And so essentially, you know, it's like you're there with myself and, and Dr. Gore in the ER where, you know, we, we see something come in and uh, it's how are we going to respond? Is this, is this event a a, a threat to myself or is it a challenge, right? And and really rising to the occasion to be able to deal with that because at this point um, with what's going on around us, we can't run, we can't hide and we just have to have um, the, the strength and resilience to be able to respond and recover in a healthy and meaningful way. Selby. I have my guest with me, Dr. Robert Gore, an emergency physician and the executive director of the Kings Against Violence Initiative. And we're talking about building resilience. And one fact with resilience, and you know how I feel about misinformation, but this fact is that resilience is a common phenomenon and that many of us have natural behaviors, habits, cultural and spiritual beliefs that we can employ to help us get through any challenging situation or circumstance in life. Also, it's important to understand that what we do depends on the situation and context. And before we sit down and start to work on right, building our own resilience, it's important to know ourselves, to know the circumstance, and to know uh, that you must be flexible um, and adaptable and know that there is no right or wrong way to cope and deal with these situations. Um, and hopefully that was illustrated from our previous discussion in terms of how we responded uh, to this crisis uh, with COVID-19 and really how we just approach things um, during our day-to-day -day shifts in the emergency department um, as a whole. But what we have for you now are just some tips out there, some actual things that you can do, practices um, that will help you in building this resilience that we're talking about. And many of the following tips were sourced from Articles in Psychology Today, written by Dr. James D. Atten, and an article in the Washington Post titled Psychologist Science-Based Tips for Emotional Resilience During a Coronavirus Crisis by Jelena Kekmanovich, in addition to other primary literature that was sourced. And I promise to put our sources in the, the show notes so that you can actually go and, and check those out at your own leisure. 
But when we talk about the, one of the first things that we, we really need to do is, is sort of being open, right? And accepting challenging thoughts and feelings for what they are rather than trying to suppress them. And your thoughts or feelings are part of being human. And instead of struggling with that thought or feeling, we have to acknowledge it. And according to uh, Ms. Kekmanovich, the founding director of the Arlington and DC Behavior Therapy Institute and adjunct professor of psychology at Georgetown University, research shows that avoidance of negative emotions and feelings not only make them stronger, but also longer lasting. And so it's imperative that we take note of these negative emotions and physical sensations and even try to describe them to ourselves in detail and then we let it go, right? So at the beginning of this crisis, I remember thinking like, this is gonna, this is gonna suck. It's gonna be a, a tough time. Um, you know, I'm scared. <laughs> uh, there's definitely a good amount of fear going into this as well as the excitement of being, you know, on the front line and, and having trained to be in this position to take care of patients, uh, right? I was, I was fearful. I mean, there's, there's not a shift where I'm fearful sometimes of what's gonna come through that door and whether or not I'll be able to rise to the occasion. Um, but I acknowledge those feelings, uh, but then also, um, you know, acknowledge how I'm feeling in that instance and then move on to how we're going to respond, right? Is this going to be a threat to my existence? Um, uh, something that, right, I'm not going to be able to respond to, or is it a challenge, right? And, and essentially, um, we can look at this as a threat to your life or a challenge to your life. And how are you going to respond, right? Are you going to do things to put yourself in a position to get through that challenge. Um, uh, that's that's one of the major things that we really um, must do. And right. anything you wanna to add to that? Yeah, no, I, I, I think we, we have to understand, you know, what is it that we're actually afraid of uh, as it relates to taking on these challenges. Uh, many of us are, are fearful of taking on something new or failing at something because of, we, you know, as a kid, we might've been reprimanded if we got something wrong uh, on a test. And so the whole concept of failure has only been associated with negative consequences. Mm -hmm. We might've been shamed, we might've been made fun of, we might, and, and aside from getting a bad, a bad grade, we might've been even beaten, depending on the household yeah. that you grew up in. And so taking on something that you aren't familiar with uh, particularly as it relates to health and wellness uh, for people who haven't really developed or, or cultivated a regular practice is, is traumatizing in itself. Uh, but first, we have to kind of understand, you know, what are we, what are we, we really afraid of? Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, we're talking about physical practices, but there has to be um, an, an almost identical mental uh, evaluation and understanding of what, what's going on just to be able to move forward. There's yeah. so much stuff and information that lies in our subconscious that we really haven't tapped into uh, yet. But those are those things that really uh, help guide many of our, many, much of our behaviors. And so we kind of have to understand what's really been bothering us, what's going on. And in some cases, you know, journaling may be helpful because you're reflecting. I think that I, I, I highly recommend that every every day, or at least every other day uh, at first, just kind of jotting down your thoughts. It doesn't have to be great prose or anything, but just learning how to do a brain dump. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, uh, I remember I went to acupuncturist a number of years ago, and he said, you know, I was going to him, I was talking about stress. He said, you're doing too much. He said, your, your mind is like a hard drive, and, you know, 
the more you have on that hard drive, the slower that machine, your computer winds up processing information. And so the same thing happens with your own body. The more stressors and the more things that you're dealing with without taking things off of your plate uh, early on, the slower you start moving. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're not as effective. And, and, and many of that, much of that can be just old baggage that we've been holding on to. It doesn't mean that you know, you're working too much per se. In some cases it can, especially in my case. Uh, but figuring out what's actually weighing down on our mind mm-hmm. and then figuring out what the actual plan is. I think people go, oh, well, that plan didn't work. That, that'll never work. But you've got to come up and, and test out these different plans uh, over and over again. You, like you, that's that's what resilience is about. That's what adaptability is about. Is about is is taking a chance on these different things that you're that you're experiencing and testing and testing and testing until you do find something that works. And then what works right now may not be be a viable solution hmm. five years from now because there may be different variables that are that are present. But developing this kind of stick with itness, uh, developing uh, what's the, there's a book called Grit, which talks about oh, you know yes. like you know you know how you know why we we pursue right. certain things and maintain like this this focus on, on challenging tasks at hand become really important. But it's really right. rethinking. It's Angela Duckworth, actually, Angela Duckworth. I, I thank you. Yep. It's an amazing thank book. You. But but really getting comfortable with failing is is part of this healing process itself. And acknowledging those emotions that we talked about. Yeah. Fear, the ang- anger. I mean, that, that's how I felt at the beginning of it. Fear, um, anger, right? In, in that this is something that, uh, you know, we, we're forced to deal with and I'm separated from my family. Uh, sadness that comes with that. Um, but also the exciting nature of this is, hey, man, this mm-hmm. is like, you know, a once in a lifetime event that I'm going to be a part of in terms of, um, the response to that and acknowledging those feelings, but then, you know, um, moving on mm-hmm. and being able to to continue to be productive, um, having acknowledged those feelings. I feel angry, right, that, that, that this is happening. And, you know, um, <laughs> let's not get into politics, but uh, just some of the things that happened prior to the onset of this. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, I feel angry, but this is still the threat. Um, this is still the challenge, rather. And I have to respond, right. and this is what we're going to do to make sure that, that we get through this but, um, in a safe and, and hopefully productive way. But also documenting the process that's going on. Many of us like to have things live inside of our heads because once we write something down, mm. we think that, oh man, I have to be committed to that. And I have this fear of commitment and I don't want to, what if, what, if, what if I can't do it the next day? And so you instead of actually trying it, testing it out, writing it out and having a plan that's been a failed plan, you just avoid doing it. I, I'll never forget, I had a student who was absolutely brilliant, and um, I'm like, why? I'm like, how are you failing your classes? If you and I have had a conversation on, on the subject matter, I was like, why are you failing this class? He said, well, I just didn't want to write the essay. Mm. I'm like, well, why not? He said, well, I'm, I don't know if I can keep it up. And I said, like, what do you mean you don't know if you can keep it up? Uh, he said, if I do well and, you know, right now and then I do, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do well again. And so I'd rather not put forth that maximum effort and and perform because, you know, because of the fear of thinking that you're not going to be, you're going to be like this one time success and you're not going to be able to repeat those efforts again. And so instead of actually succeeding, 
he just tended to avoid. He and he clearly said it himself. This is a fourteen-year-old kid wow. uh, who who's articulating that stuff. Uh, and then there's so many of us who who instead of actually you know you know out of a fear of being ridiculed or out of fear of not being able to live up to a certain expectation that we put on ourselves, we would just rather avoid. And when it comes to your own health, your well-being, and, and even your community. Um, we, we need strong hands and, and we need people who are ready and willing and able, yes. but this stuff does not happen, you know, immediately, you know, America itself is, a, is one big experiment is it's, it's a failed experiment in, in many ways, as, as we're clearly seeing right now, I think COVID-19 helped uncover, or I shouldn't say uncover, it, it, it showcased the world, um, how fractured our society um, actually is yes. in terms of, you know, particularly with marginalized communities. Um, but it's, you know, this is an experiment. Nobody knows what, what they're doing, but in order for you to figure out the science behind what things are and what thing, you know, how things are, are playing out, uh, we've got to continue to, to test and to test and to test and, it, and to try out theories and see what works and see what doesn't work. But if we if we don't keep track record of what we're doing, mm. uh, we're going to be doomed to repeat those same mistakes that we've seen far too long. That's a fact. And far too frequently. And, um, you know, along that those lines, really, uh, another recommendation, right, as far as building this resilience is, is strictly just being aware, being aware of your present using all five senses. Now, this, you know, we're talking about uh, largely the individual level at this point. Um, but being aware of your surroundings, of yourself, how you're feeling during times of stress or challenge, right? Of our thoughts and feelings, the past and present experiences that we have with you. You know, thanks for commenting on that, because I think that definitely comes into um, a lot of the ways in which we respond to present challenges um, before us. You know, engaging your senses to bring you back to the business at hand, right? That is that's going to be imperative in how we um, respond. And how resilient we are. And this also speaks to mindfulness and aforementioned exercise um, as far as uh, acknowledging those emotions, our feelings, um, our sensations. Um, this is all mindfulness, right? And it's invaluable in bringing to light those negative emotions um, that we can then acknowledge them and then begin to move on. The next big thing is to be engaged and active and it's easy to lose sight of the things that are important to us when faced with challenging and difficult times. And therefore, it is important that we take time to consider those areas of life that are important to you and your values. And once you've determined what those things are, then you must take action to bring yourself closer to those values or domains of life, right? So the activity, and I remember, you know, it's easy to move away from that, right? When we're focused on the news media and what's going on around us with COVID. Um, you know, myself and, and Rob working in the ERs day to day trying to deal with this crisis. Um, you know, we could have easily just been like, yeah, man, I'm done. You know, should we do that run? Nah, let's, you know, let's just uh, camp out and watch Netflix or something. But we made it a, a, a because we're so engaged in active, healthy lifestyles. And that's something that is a, a part of our regular being. Right. We've sort of. Um, establish those habits for ourselves and as we said it's not always easy but it's something that we know like look we have to do it um, because one it's going to give us what we need um, not only in terms of the energy um, and also reducing the stress to respond to the crisis but building up our immunity and just staying physically fit and active to get through this crisis we knew we had to do it we made it a priority 
Um, if it's being in touch with family and friends and being close to family and friends, well, that's when you got to say, hey, I need to, to make sure I can get Zoom downloaded on my phone or my tablet or computer mm-hmm. and, and make a regular call to um, a loved one right every night. Whoever it is that sort of brings you that solace and, and comfort uh, during challenging times, that's who you need to have on speed dial or in your favorites list on your phone. Uh, and uh, another thing is just um, in doing this and establishing these new routines, um, it can connect you to those things that are important in life and vital in maintaining good psychological health. And so creating, and this is something that I think uh, we try to do. <laughs> I'm not going to say we were perfect in all of this, but you know, establishing like regular uh, sleep and waking times. Um, Rob is was getting up at like 7 a.m. I took this time to like kind of sleep in a little <laughs> because I was away from sometimes wife, be five wife and child, and so I'd be um, you know yeah I know he's waking up at like 5 a.m. sometimes, but I would wake up at 9 a.m. Which I felt like hey it was a good time. Get up at nine, eat breakfast. Um, you know we would do our routines as far as qigong and. Uh, maybe a little bit of yoga, um, and then I would go and say my prayer in the in the bedroom. And um, next thing you know, I'm I'm up and ready to go by 10 a.m. to get started with whatever I had planned for that day, as far as uh, my goals um, for that day. So creating and sticking to regular wake up and sleep times, and maintaining regular grooming and meal times is very important. And there's days where. I didn't never really plan to leave the house sometimes, but I still <laughs> got up and showered and got dressed because that was vital in in uh, getting my body and my mind in motion to uh, attack those things, the, the various goals that I had set out for the day. And uh, as we said, exercise, good nutrition are all strongly linked to emotional well-being, but it's okay to reinvent new routines or start afresh, especially if, as you said, you were that gym head and now, you know, Planet Fitness and... Um, Blink and all that stuff is shut down. The downstate gym, you know, there's no way to go. Even the parks. I remember I went out to to run and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to the park and just hit the bar, um, you know, do some some chin ups and stuff and try to do some muscle ups, which I still haven't been able to do, but I was gonna try. <laughs> you gotta and, try something. Yeah, you gotta try something new. But I went and the park was closed. I was like, oh man, well now I gotta go back and just um, you know do the push ups and stuff and find another way to get that workout in. Um, we we have to find ways in order to get this done. And then finally, trying to get outdoors, um, even if it's just a walk in the park and, you know, all of those those trails and stuff in, let's say, Prospect Park, those things are open. So getting out into those trails, because multiple studies have shown that spending time in nature can have uh, significant positive effects on your psychological uh, well-being. The next thing is to be self-compassionate. Do not judge yourself. Right. And really, this is a time to really be kind to yourself. Um, so those times where, you know, I was not able to get the outline done for this program <laughs> as mad as I was with myself, I was like, all right, you know what, you, you accomplished some, some other things, you know, it's something that maybe this is something that we got to complete tomorrow and we'll be able to put our full energy into it and not do a half a job. <laughs> I don't want to curse on the program. Um, but I wanted, you know, make sure that I put my all into it. So it's like, Hey, maybe I should just you know, kick back and, and go read and, and continue in the morning and not beat myself up uh, over that. Um, and also seeing our uh, common humanity and being mindful and present, right? Especially when it comes to those difficult thought difficult thoughts that can help us in dealing with what we're seeing happening around us um, regarding the, 
the killing of uh, George Floyd and stuff. So just being aware that, you know, that we're all going through this together, really. And um, as difficult as it can be on a personal or individual level, this is something that we're all going through. And we just have to be compassionate, not only to ourselves, but to others around us as we deal with this time. And uh, finally, ladies and gentlemen, is practicing gratitude and, you know, expressing gratitude to a loved one. It could be a coworker. It could be a friend about qualities that you appreciated in them. Um, also, just um, gratitude for what we have in life. And one thing um, I remember thinking was that, you know, um, with all of the stuff that's going around, that's happening around us, I was grateful for the company of Rob grateful that I had um, the ability to quarantine myself from my family so that I know that their safety, right? I wouldn't have to worry as much. Um, as, as much as it was terrible to be away from them, I did have, um, was gracious of the fact that I was able to move away from them and therefore keep them safe and, and continue to focus on the work that I was doing. And there's different approaches to this, right? But it's really just looking at um, sort of what you have and what you are able to do, right? It's not even just tangible stuff we're talking about. We're not talking about material things and gratitude. It's just having, um, as we said, even just being mindful of that you can appreciate your emotions and your physical state at any given time uh, because not everybody, unfortunately, you know, has that luxury. And then finally, uh, a big thing, and I think this is what we've been up to lately, Robin, uh, reflecting, um, relating, and reframing and really, when it comes to reflection, just sort of looking back, and I remember on one of the runs we went on recently where we were just talking about like, man, you know, during the whole, especially when we in New York, you know, inundated with a lot of cases here um, in the city. And at that point, it was such a crisis. We were so overwhelmed um, in the hospital that I remember I felt like I didn't have a chance to process what was happening at that time. No, right? at that time, not it was at a all. Crisis. We were in the middle of it. And didn't have a time to process it until now where I'm like going back and saying, hey, this was a really traumatic experience. You know, what can I learn from that? How do I process that and not take on negative emotions going forward? No, I'm like it, it was it literally we literally didn't have a conversation about a lot of the stuff that was going on for about maybe six weeks after those initial cases. Six weeks some of that was because we didn't have a, a working TV, and so we weren't watching the news. Even though we were, you know, speaking on different platforms and talking with media and talking to patients about what was going on, I think just like that reflective part where it hits you, you know, it hits you like it was. It was literally easily about six, maybe even seven weeks after those first cases, where mm -hmm. you kind of get that lull period and you get a chance to really think through what you've been experiencing. Um, you know, you know, like dealing with trauma itself is one of those things. It doesn't always come up when, you know, you can't like turn it on and off like with a switch, but like when it does come, you want to make sure that you're equipped and able to uh, be able to process it. Uh, in many instances, if, you know, for people who are out there, our listeners who are out there who are experiencing trauma, feeling, you know, feeling anxious, feeling depressed, feeling sad and feeling overwhelmed. And in some extreme cases, uh, feeling like they may want to cause themselves harm or causing harm to somebody else, I think that might be an ideal time uh, to reach out to a mental health practitioner. Hmm. Um, you know, there's so many that are out there from uh, licensed therapists, uh, psychologists, even psychiatrists, but um, as long as reach out to someone first, one of those types of uh, practitioners first, 
uh, and then that, that you know she or he can uh, or they can uh, can point you in the right direction of what you might need next. In some cases, you may only need to speak with a licensed therapist. In some um, extreme circumstances, you may require a psychologist. Under certain, under many dire circumstances, you may require uh, the the care of a medical prof- of an actual uh, physician who happens to have a degree in psychiatry mm-hmm. or a specialty in psychiatry. Um, but just recognize that if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling excessively overwhelmed, if you're feeling depressed and suicidal, you're having problems eating, and all this stuff is related to a lot of the fear of everything from death to processing trauma, then thinking about police brutality uh, and how that has an impact on you and your families, um, we recommend uh, going out and seeking medical uh, help uh, from, a, from a licensed professional. Yes. And um, lastly, ladies and gentlemen, with that, just reframing, and that's something that um, I feel like I've been in the process and just looking back, not only at the crisis, definitely a challenging time, and we're still going through it, um, but at the same time, and as tragic as this was, you know, this was something that Rob and I were talking about for years, right? I've known Rob for nine years now, and you always say, yo, we got to chop it up, we got to get together, mm-hmm. do. and this was, right, in my reframing of this whole uh, crisis, uh, this was an opportunity, one, for self-reflection and self-renewal, but also to to build a better relationship with my good friend and mentor. Um, and so really just trying to dig deep and, and reframe and figure out maybe what positives came from the situation. What do we learn going forward um, and, and how can we apply this to future situations and build resilience as we go in the future uh, to deal with crises like this? Um, that's That's one thing that can definitely help us. Uh, all going forward and we're going to be right back and take one more break really quick and just close out the program thank you uh, once again ladies and gentlemen for listening to health in harlem we will be right back after this show Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has identified six phases of a disaster that many communities experience after a major traumatic event. While the initial phases are characterized by fear and uncertainty and stress and anxiety that can come from seeing the impact of the disaster and the heroism in responding to the crisis, there is disillusionment and a recovery that is typically seen in later phases. And it is during this latter t- time, these latter phases, in which we can begin to see the psychological fallout emerge, sometimes long after the initial trauma was inflicted. And this can be manifest by depression, drug and substance abuse and alcohol use, anxiety disorders, etc., etc. And this is why building our resilience is also so important. This will be ongoing, and we must be aware of the fact that we must always be trying to find ways to build our resilience across our lifetimes to ensure that we can respond to all of life's challenges. And so as we begin to wrap up, um, Dr. Gore, any last words or what would you say is the most important thing that our listening audience should take away from this discussion? I think probably the most important thing to take away is that, you know, wellness itself shouldn't necessarily be a response uh, to trauma and tragedy, but really should be embraced as a way of life mm. um, such that we can p- 
perform at, at our best. Uh, and that can be w- whatever given profession or task that you're doing. But uh, it's always a, a positive thing when you can be at your best. Uh, not necessarily just wanting to be healthy because uh, that's what a doctor said, but it's really tied to our performance and just improving the quality of our own individual and collective lives. Word, I'm with you on that. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, just in summary, resilience, as we said, um, is a way in which we can respond to stress, to crises uh, that are going on around us and not only respond, but also recover um, in the aftermath of whatever it was that we were dealing with. And another great thing that we really must take take home is that this is something that is malleable, right? We can build resilience. Um, just as we, we can lose resilience um, if we don't find ways or strategies to, to cope with these uh, challenges that we deal with each and every day. And so while we are not through with this crisis, and believe me, there is another one on the horizon, right, as we see with what's happening around us, um, and we always have to be ready and able to respond. And this, this show, ladies and gentlemen, as, as usual, um, Health in Harlem, we thank you for tuning in. We The only thing that we ask, right, not asking you uh, for anything else other than to share the information that you've learned uh, on this program with anyone that will listen, um, especially uh, as we, we continue to deal with this crisis uh, with COVID-19. And ladies and gentlemen, um, I also want to thank my co-hosts out there. Um, that's Giorgio uh, and the gang, um, Ashley. Uh, everybody out there, you know, we really are looking forward to getting them back on the air um, with us on this program and this new venture with the podcast. <clears throat> but I just want to give a shout out to the rest of the team. And ladies and gentlemen, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself.